Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Oh man, it's so good to see you guys. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. My name is Jason. I serve as uh, one of the elders and the preaching pastor and passion over, uh, pastor over vision and teaching here at Bergen Park Church, and it's good to see you guys. Some may look at me and say, who is this guy? Why is he up there? I've been away for couple of weeks, our family got a chance to kind of step away. You need to do that every once in a while. And I think with the last two years with COVID and everything, we just kind of needed to, to step away. And so I want to thank Jonah, Dan, the entire congregation for allowing us to do that. Thank you guys. You've truly been a family to us over this break and just loved us well. So we love you and we thank you guys. You know, and truly the church is not about a gathering on Sunday morning. I know that's kind of where we see each other. Scripture says that church is, is a family. That because of Jesus' love for us, we're binded together in the love of God, the love of our Father. And we may disagree on things, right? We do things differently, like different music, and yet God guides us together. And he brings people together that otherwise would never be together because they love the Father and they love Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of the church. And all across the globe today, our family is gathering in different languages and different corners and different rooms and some not rooms and all that kind of good stuff because that's what the church is. We are the family of God. And what that means for us is we celebrate what's going on in people's lives. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And as a family, one of the things we do is we dedicate children. You know, throughout the history of the church in the Old Testament, the New Testament, there is a tradition of dedicating children to the Lord. You see this in the Old Testament. Hannah brings her son Samuel to the temple in Shiloh and dedicates him to the Lord. And then you see that in Mary and Joseph, bringing Jesus to the temple and dedicating him to God. And likewise today, we have the Amorites. Now's your time to come on up. We have, let's give them a hand. We have Will and Mickey Emmerine along with Joseph Luke Emmerine to come and to dedicate Luke to the Lord. We also have their family that's gathered here with us today and guys, we, we're glad you're a part of this to share in this moment together. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter six. I'm gonna ask Will and Mickey a couple questions and then we're gonna see if Luke kinda, kinda takes to me and we can introduce uh, Joseph Luke Emmerine to you as well. So let me read from Deuteronomy chapter six. These are the commands and decrees of the Lord. He wants you to teach you, to teach your children, your grandchildren, to fear the Lord as long as you live. So listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children, to Luke. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're walking along the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Now, in response to this command of God to us, I'm going to ask you guys three questions. And after each question, if you want to respond by saying, we do. And so Will and Mickey... Do you acknowledge that your son Luke is a gift from God? Do you confess your need of help and grace from the Lord and shaping him in the nurture and in the teaching of the Lord? We do. And do you covenant to instruct him in the teachings of Jesus Christ, to model for him with your words and your life what it means to follow Jesus in his life? 
And you covenant to raise him to the local body of the church, asking this day God's blessing on him to guide him, guard him, and direct him through all his days. All right, Joseph, Luke, Amarine, can I see you, buddy? Can I hold you? Church, this is our responsibility. That's always gonna happen. This is Joseph, Luke, and Marine, guys. Give him a hand. They love you. And Joseph, Luke, your parents have chosen this passage for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up your countenance and in all your life grant you peace. Hey, let's pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph, Luke, Emmerine, I dedicate you to the Lord and commend to you the grace of God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ to keep you praying this day that you may come to know him and follow Jesus Christ at an early age, to love him with all your hearts, your soul, and your mind. And we pray this in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are amazing. He did a great job. Hey, church, will you also stand? You also have a role to play in this process as well. So I'm gonna ask you a question, and would you also respond by saying we do? Do you, the local body of Christ, promise to support this family and others with your prayers and love as you seek to follow Jesus Christ? Do you commit yourselves to the ministry of the church to reflect the truth of God's word and worship and fellowship and teaching so that families like the Amorites might follow Jesus Christ through all their days. Would you please respond by saying? Thank you, you guys can be seated. Janine is our children's director and we have a gift for you guys. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate this moment with you and to um, look forward to seeing Luke grow up and do some amazing things. Thank you guys, yeah, thank you Will, yeah, appreciate it. And so if that is something that you desire to do as well, to dedicate your child to the Lord, please reach out to us. That's a part of growing our kids in the church is one, dedications, another is when they come to faith, walking through the waters of baptism as we disciple our kids. Because truly, this community is about a family. And what's beautiful about living in Evergreen, for the most part, for me at least, is I used to live in Dallas-Fort Worth, I didn't see my family at all. We lived in a huge community and I would rarely see people in town and what we have the opportunity to do is to share life as we're going through King Supers or Safeway or Walmart or Home Depot, wherever you are, we see one another, we live together, we go to school together, we pray together, we live, we cry, all that good stuff and that's what the family of God is, following Jesus together. Hey, today, can I, can I tell you, I'm a little nervous. You know, I've been gone for about four weeks and so when I come back, I think, how do, how do I do this? How does this thing, how does this kind of all work? So I'm jumping back in and I have to warn you, you know, the Lord was teaching me over my vacation and the place he took me to is, it's not a place that pastors like to go. They don't, you don't tend to hear a lot of sermons out of the book of, ready for this? Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah, some of you are like, what is that? Is that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't, Ecclesiastes, it even doesn't sound good. But I'll tell you, this is a book that's refreshed my soul, cleansed my, allowed me to see life on life's terms instead of in my illusions as to what's most important. Often we get upset. I don't know if you know this. At least in COVID, a lot of people got upset about a lot of things. 
but we don't really ask the question, does this eternally matter? You know, there are things that are important, and they're good, and they're valuable. Certainly in this temporal life, they're very important. But the book of Ecclesiastes looks at life, ready for this, through the vantage point of death, and asks the question, does it really matter? If you look at your life from the point, vantage point of death, and you look back at the decisions you made, what you were upset about, what you focused on, what are you gonna look back and say, you know what, maybe I took that a little too seriously. It wasn't that it wasn't important, but it dominated my heart. It controlled my mind and my emotions. It caused me to divide in different groups. This group's bad, that group's good. There's certain things that God has given us to use to glorify him, and often we worship the stuff. We, 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 here, I lost the phrase. <laughs> we use the stuff we should be worshiping and we worship the stuff we should be using. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but as I kind of stepped away, the Lord used this book kind of to clarify my vision in life. So we're gonna jump into, I don't know how long we're gonna be here, so if this kind of hits you the wrong way, and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna camp here for the next six months or something like that, but we're just gonna take a little bit of time, and hopefully the Lord will use what he's taught me uh, to kind of bless you as well. So let's jump into it, Ecclesiastes chapter one. In my Bible, it's on page like five. 53. I don't know what it is in the book in front of you, but it's someplace in the middle. It's okay to look at the table of contents. That doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It just means you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, and most people don't. And so the guy next to you, he's looking too. You know when you do that, you kind of look at a, the content, you know? And you, Anyways, I do that all the time. And so Ecclesiastes, um, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, it's all kind of mixed right into the middle. And so I've got a little pink tab, so I can jump right there. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preachers, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? See, a generation, they come and they go. But it's the earth. The earth remains. I mean, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows from the south. It goes to the north. It goes around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind turns. And you know, all the streams, they seem to run into the sea. But have you noticed the sea's never full? To the place where the streams go, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes never satisfy of seeing. The ears never filled with hearing. What has been will be, and what has been done, it's gonna be done again. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which someone can say, see, this is new. It has already been. And the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor there will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who are to come after and so I, the preacher, have been king over Israel, uh, over Israel and Jerusalem. And see, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is vanity. It is a striving after the wind. For see, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking, it can't be counted. So I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom. 
surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this is also but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom comes much vexation. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. This too is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you guide us? These words can be troublesome, difficult, even depressing at times. And yet, Father, you've given us these words to take the illusions of life away, the illusions of our permanence, our self-importance. So often we stand in the middle of life and we scream out for attention. Yet, Father, we're not the center. And when we are at the center of life, things break down. But Father, when you are at the center, through your grace, your love, your truth through Jesus Christ, Father, you make all things new. And so Father, in this time, we invite you to be the center. Holy Spirit, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys ready for this? I don't know if I am. (laughs) Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What can man gain from all his toil under the sun. Now, some of you feel that way, right? There's weeks, months, you go by and it's like, gosh, it's just, I don't seem to be getting anywhere. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, what he's doing, you know, most books in the Bible, they're pretty positive in the sense that they're teaching you about the character of God. They're saying, this is who God is and this is what God is up to. This is God's heart for you. You know what the book of Ecclesiastes does is it deconstructs your illusions about life. It deconstructs the reality. I think I'm permanent. And I know somebody else is gonna get cancer, but guess what? I ain't getting cancer. I know somebody else is gonna get COVID. I ain't gonna get COVID. I know somebody else's kids get sick and parents die. All that stuff, it's gonna happen to someone. But sometimes we think it's not gonna happen to me. I'm successful. I mean, I've got it together. My body's working pretty good. I'm at 46, so it's, it's starting to break down a little bit. I'm starting to feel some aches. My eyes are starting to go. If you're sitting in the back right now, I can't see your face. I want you to know that. (laughs) If you're at King Super sometimes and you wave at me, I have no idea. If you're 20 feet out, I don't know who you are. (laughs) I'm like, is that person looking at me? I need glasses. My wife tells me I need glasses. I do. I need glasses. Because the body's breaking down. And see, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing is he's kind of looking at life on life's terms. Life under the sun, and he's describing life really as it is, not as we want life to be. Describing life as it is. And and the conclusion of the book's gonna be somewhat surprising because in the end, he's gonna say, enjoy life. Life is not about what you gain. Life is a gift from God. Work, it's not about retirement. Work is joy. And if you don't find joy in your work, someone else is gonna take your work and they're gonna enjoy it, and you're not. Kids, your kids should be a gift from God. So often, what do we do? We're like trying to discipline our kids. Hey, go straight, go left, go right, and what do we don't? We don't enjoy them. Marriage, marriage should be a gift from God. In life, so often, what we're doing is we're trying to gain, we're trying to build, and God is trying to see, show us that in gaining and building, sometimes what we're missing is the joy and the enjoyment in life. And this writer, this author, this preacher of Ecclesiastes is trying to open us up to what is most permanent and real in life. And so let's jump back into it. In verse one, 
And he starts off by saying, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the author of Ecclesiastes, there's two voices. One's the preacher. But in verse one, the preacher's not speaking to us. Instead, it's the one that's kind of put this book together. And you'll find in verse one, and then also at the end in chapter 12, there's this, this kind of wise older man, older woman that's putting this story of the preacher together. And, and he summarizes at the end all that the preacher has said. So the way that I think of the book of Ecclesiastes is like this. There's this wiser, older man, over woman in your life. They've watched you grow up. They've seen you have kids. Maybe you're about getting in your 40s, maybe like me, or maybe in your 50s or something. And they come alongside you and they say, listen, I gotta introduce you to someone you don't wanna listen to. There is a message that is so important that you need to hear that I wanna sit you down, and maybe they sit you down at their feet, it's kinda like a grandpa type, and they say, I've got to tell you this story, and I want you to listen to it. So all the millennials, right, they're down front, all the Gen Xs were down front, even boomers, come on, you guys, you're kinda down front, and this wiser, older woman, this wiser man is speaking to you, and they're introducing you to this person that's called the preacher. And the preacher, this, this word in the Hebrew is this word koheleth, and that's where the word Ecclesiastes comes, it's this idea of Koheleth and it means to gather. And the preacher is somebody who has gathered truth and people together. And he's described as someone who is a king in, a son of David and king in Jerusalem. And many people have thought this could be King Solomon. Now one of the challenges with that is it doesn't say King Solomon. You read Song of Solomon, which is a great book, and it's attributed to Solomon. Proverbs, attributed to Solomon. This book is somewhat anonymous. And so some people believe it was Solomon and Solomon's story that he's talking about life from his perspective. And others will say it's somebody writing through the lens of Solomon. I don't know which one is true. But I do know we're supposed to see life from Solomon's vantage point. And if you don't know anything about Solomon, Solomon was this guy that God came to and said, okay, Solomon, I wanna give you anything you want. I mean, that's, that's a great, <laughs> that's not a bad day. And instead of asking for money or pleasure or a thousand wishes, which is what probably I'd ask for is, God, give me a thousand wishes. He says, God, what I want is I want wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God gave him power and authority and pleasure and all of those good things. And Solomon reigned in a time over Israel of 40 years of peace and prosperity. And so what he did was he set his mind, his heart, everything he had to discovering what is the purpose of life? Does life have meaning? Does work have meaning? Does money have meaning? Does relationships have meaning? And he looked at all of life, and we're gonna discover this from the vantage point of under the sun. And a lot of people have wrestled with what that means exactly. It could mean life in this broken world. It could also mean a life apart from God. That Solomon just looked at life and said, if this life is all I have, if 70, 80, maybe I get 90 years, 95 years are all that I have, what in this life is ultimately meaningful. And so there's two words that are really important to discover, to understand what this book is about. The first is that word vanity, and you hear that a lot. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now in the NIV, it's translated, if you've got an NIV, it's actually the word meaningless. That's not very happy. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And the second phrase that's key in this book is this phrase, under the sun. That what Solomon is doing is he's looking life under the sun. And so I want to look at those two words just for a moment. We're going to kind of discover how these words play out throughout this book. I need to scoot over a little bit. I just feel like I'm off center. 
And this word vanity in the Hebrew is this word havel, havel. And it's an important word because see, anytime in the Bible when you're reading different translations and you notice that translations translate words differently, it's because it's hard to translate. And so depending on what translation you have, you may have a different translation for this word. And so the ESV translates it vanity, the NIV translates it meaningless. The message, which is a paraphrase, actually I think gets pretty close because it translates it smoke. Smoke, smoke, everything is smoke. It's a metaphor. The Solomon is using smoke or vapor or what you see on your mirror when you get out of the shower as a metaphor for life. Life is here, it seems permanent, and then it's gone. And not only is life here and then it seems gone, there are events in life that, that seem to have significance, but when you look at them and you look at them from a few years past, they're not as weighty as you once thought, that life is a bit of an enigma. It's a paradox. Things happen in life and you can't get your arms around them. Why would God allow this? How could a good God allow certain events to take place? And so what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing is he's sitting down with these young people in front of them and he's saying, guys, let me tell you about what's hevel in life. Let me tell you what's smoke. And so Ecclesiastes 2, verse 15, he says, here's what I've seen that is hevel. He says, what happens to the fool, the idiot, the guy who didn't go to school, the guy who's made a mess out of his life, the guy without wisdom, what has happened to the fool is also gonna happen to me. And why then have I been so wise? If the fool is gonna die and I'm gonna die, why am I spending so much time? He seems like he's having a better time than I. I'm sitting at home reading books, being a good guy, and this guy, his end and my end is the same. And notice, I said in my heart that this is, I know it says vanity, but you see the word hevel. It's hevel. It doesn't make sense. Ecclesiastes 2.21. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom, he's worked hard, he's toiled, he's worked with knowledge and skill, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna leave it for someone else. And you didn't enjoy it. You didn't stop and enjoy life. And you're going to give it to someone else who didn't work for it. Notice what it is. He says, he says this is hevel. It's a great, you guys want to change that because it's not up there yet. Is it not up? No, it's not there. I took it away. I think there's more to that verse. Or maybe it's the next verse. I can't, I can't remember. But he says, this is hevel. It's a great evil. That here's somebody who has, there we go. Yeah, I told you, it's there. Here's somebody who has worked their entire life and they worked with integrity. I mean, they were awesome, a great employer, but they never enjoyed what they had. And then what happened? And I actually know this story quite well. I've got, I got a friend that was real close to me in my previous church in Massachusetts and two weeks after he retired and the guy worked with integrity, he passed away. His business was enjoyed by someone else and everything he had, even though he lived a full and good life, I'm sure there were dreams and hopes that he had, and yet, and yet it was taken away and was given to someone else who didn't earn it. And, and the writer of Ecclesiastes saying, is that right? Here's this guy who was given so much and somebody else is gonna come along and enjoy it. And so he's using this word hevel to describe what life is like. And so on the one hand, hevel can mean um, temporary, that life's short. Sometimes it doesn't feel short. I mean, I, I know when I was in grade school, I thought summer would never come and then summer would like fly by. But
But life itself, and, and many of you have said that to me when you've looked at me and my kids, you're like, listen, enjoy this, enjoy this, right? Enjoy this, you don't understand. I know it's hard when the kid's going to first grade and kindergarten, he's screaming and all that stuff and it's embarrassing in the store, but listen, enjoy his screams, enjoy the tantrums, because one day you're gonna look back and say, man, wasn't that great? Right, guy, older guy, older folk, right? It's like, I remember that. And, and yet for us, in the midst of it, it's like, this is Hevel, this is Hevel. It's like, no, 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 the preachers say no. This is the good stuff. Enjoy it, see life is a gift from God. And so he's gonna say, first of all, life is fleeting. So notice this, Ecclesiastes 11.8. So if a person has many years, notice what he says, rejoice in them. Rejoice in the days of your life, but remember The days of darkness will be many. What are those? The days of aging. Right now, I have a frozen shoulder, guys. Do you know what a frozen shoulder is? Some of you do. It's weird. My my shoulder's frozen. I didn't do it. It's idiopathic, which means you gotta be an idiot to get it. That's That's how it's described, right? It just means they don't know how you get it. But anyways, my, my shoulder is, fr- and this kind, and he was older than me, he said, Jason, at 46, you just get this kind of stuff. I'm like, really? That's where I am. I'm, I'm a guy who's gonna have a frozen shoulder. That's now a part of my story, right? And some of you never knew you are gonna have prostate cancer. Or, or you were gonna have knee problems and a hip replacement. You didn't know that. When you're young, you're like, you know, the, I, got my, I got life, I got everything around me. But he says, the days of darkness are coming. And so know those days of darkness are coming. And so don't sweat the small stuff. Enjoy life. When the sun is out, smile. If the coffee's good, thank them. (laughs) Right? If they're kind to you, tip them. Be generous. Because the writer of Ecclesiastes is looking back at all those days where he lived in stress about his job. How's this gonna work out? How's it gonna go? You know, it worked out regardless of whether he was sleeping or he was awake. And he's saying, I missed out on the enjoyment of life. Life is fleeting, life is short. But second, this word hevel, which is a metaphor for life, also means that life is a little elusive. It's sometimes a paradox. It seems like there's contradictions in life that we believe that God is good and that God is caring for us, and yet we run into these situations in life that just don't make sense. And we're gonna see this a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. So hear this, Ecclesiastes 8, 14. He goes, let me tell you something that's, that's absolutely hevel. There is a vanity, a hevel, that takes place on the earth. That there are righteous people, and have you noticed this? Whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. So there's good people who get what the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. There's wicked people who get what the righteous deserve. And he sees this in life. He goes, man, that's just pure hevel. Hevel happens. This is a mess. Here's this guy who lived his life with integrity, yet someone falsely accused him, and because his brother was a judge, remember that guy? And his sister had a little power in the school system, and they knew the right people, and they had a little money. This guy with integrity who lived his life to love others and be generous, he finds himself bankrupt, broke, cast out of the community. And this guy who was a jerk, who didn't even earn what he had, seems to be riding high. And the preacher says, this, this is a mess, this is hevel. How do I make sense 
out of the injustice in life. Because see, here's the reality. All of us have expectations. What he's running against and why you don't like this, he's messing with your expectations. And, and one of your expectations, and, and hear me on this, because I've got it too, I got a problem. I think God's working for me. I, I appreciate that laugh, because <laughs> he's not. But you know what I mean? It's this myth of self-fulfillment, myth of religious fulfillment, that the reason I get God is to improve my life, to be a better husband, and, and certainly does God make me a better, I hope, I, my wife could tell you for certain, but... I hope God is changing me. I hope God in my life makes me enjoy life more, but that's not what God's about. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about God joining my story to make my story better. Do you know that? It's about me joining God's story and God inviting me to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And see, often what happens is the reason life is hevel is because we're seeing it from our illusions, God, you should be doing this for me. God, you should be working this way. And that's why we're often angry at God. Because why? God didn't live up to my expectations. And see, what the writer of Ecclesiastes, both for the religious and the non-religious, he's looking at life and saying, guys, death is a reality. God is glorious and he is good and he is great and he is the judge of all things. You are not. You're not in control. He is in control. And life is gonna seem elusive and life is gonna be short but we have to enjoy life in the time that God has given us. And so that's that idea of Hevel. And we're gonna discover this. We're gonna spend a little bit of time in this book kind of uncovering this Hevel in life. But the second word he points us to is this phrase, under the sun. Because the book of Ecclesiastes is written from this vantage point. Some people say of life apart from God, and that could be true. But it's also life in this broken world. Because see, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God is life a vapor, Yes. Is life elusive? Is it at times a paradox, an enigma? Yeah. And so whether you believe in God or whether you don't, I think what the writer of Ecclesiastes says is true. So it's, in a sense, he's looking at life from the side of empiricism, which is, what can I taste, touch, sense, experience? And he's saying, okay, what's valuable? So notice in verse three, here's the question he's going to ask. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. So what is the outcome? And again, what he's doing is he's looking at his life from the vantage point of death. I know that's kind of morbid, but it's helpful. And he's saying, after I'm gone, what's left? What am I leaving behind? Because see, if I don't look at my life from the vantage point of death, then my life's not gonna make sense because I'm living in the life of an illusion because often we're living as if we're not gonna die. And so you know what happens? Things that we should be using to glorify God become things that we worship. They become too important. They may even be great things or good things, but we elevate them to the place of God to give us what? A sense of control? Power? Is that something God's given to us? Am I the judge? Is he the judge? Is he in control? Am I in control? And see, here's what happened. When you see life from the vantage point of death, you're gonna enjoy life. It's weird. I know, it's like so morbid, but it's true. When you see life from the vantage point of death and you realize the stuff it works, is it important to work hard and work with integrity and try to get good results? Yes. But are you in control? Are you in control? No. You're not in control. I know you think you can control that deal and that person and manipulate that outcome. You can't. God is in control. And here's what happens. When we try to control things, we can't enjoy them. 
We can't enjoy the challenge. We can't enjoy the money. We can't enjoy our family. We can't enjoy the day. We can't enjoy coffee. We're miserable because we don't see life correctly. And so what the writer of Ecclesiastes is gonna do is allow us to see life on life's turn. So I'm gonna read the last of this just quickly and he's gonna kind of summarize the path he's gonna take us on. And so notice in verse four, generations come and generations go. Do you remember your great, great grandparents? You may know their names, but you don't know their hearts. And guess what? They had passions. Remember Dead Poets Society? Look at their faces, boys. Now seize the day is not enough, but look at them. They were here, they had dreams, they had aspirations. Generations, they come, they go. My name's not gonna be remembered. But the earth, it remains. And this frustrates him. We're creating the image of God. You know Bergen Peak up here? It was here before it was called Bergen Peak. And when somebody called it Bergen Peak, it wasn't like, well, thank you. I'm now known, I have a name. No, the reality is was, it was here for thousands, thousands. I don't know how long, how, how long has it been there? And when I'm gone and my kids are gone and their kids are gone and their kids are gone, guess what? That peak's gonna be there. Somebody's gonna be climbing it. And my name's gonna be forgotten. And everything I've done in Bergen Park Church, you know the guy, I don't, Jim probably knows, Jim's our previous pastor, beautiful man. He probably knows who founded Bergen Park Church. I don't know. You would think that's kind of important for somebody who's the pastor of Bergen Park Church to know who founded Bergen Park Church, but guess what? I don't care. <laughs> right, Jim? And yet he thought he did something pretty significant and it's still here and here I am benefiting and, and I really don't care who, who he is. Isn't that true of life? What are we fighting for? He says, the sun rises and the sun set. It goes, the winds turn from the north and the south, the streams. You notice the sea's never full. What he's saying is there's a permanence to the earth, to the wind, to the sun, but it's never satisfied. And what are we? We're never satisfied with it. Is your eye filled with seeing? You seen enough? Sunset, sunrises. I go to Maine every single year, see the same thing. Same, same stores, same places, and I, I still go back. I wanna see it again. The heart is never filled. And then he says it's wearisome. And then he goes on to say, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I got this technology next to me. Solomon didn't have an iPhone. He didn't know about people going to the moon. Come on, there's some stuff that's new. Listen, technology is an extension of your eyes, your ears, and it's an extension of entertainment. It's nothing new. It's taking something that's been there before, seeing, hearing, understanding, and it's making it more convenient. And what he's saying is the discoveries of the past, we forget them. Hey, every generation comes along and says, you guys messed it up. Okay, boomer, right? That was kind of weak, okay. And the Gen Xers come and we say, boomers, you guys, you messed it up for us, man. And then what happens? The millennials come along and it's like, you guys don't have enough passion, man. There's no passion. There's no passion in you. Where's the passion? And we just want passion. We want things that mean something. We want to buy shoes that feed kids. And, and, then, and then you've got the, the Gen, uh, Gen Zs, right? Gen Zs are coming. And then there's the Gen, and what every, what's every generation? What did you guys do? You think about your parents and you went, you guys messed it up for me. You messed it up. Every generation thinks somehow we've arrived. Isn't it true? And what do we not do? We don't talk to the previous generation. Hey guys, tell me some wisdom about life. 
Because we have this illusion that somehow we're getting someplace and somehow we're progressing and we're going somewhere. And the right of Ecclesiastes, all he's trying to do is this wise old gentleman that's sitting you down at his feet saying, listen to me, you don't wanna hear this message, but you need to hear it. You're gonna die. You're not in control. God has created all things and it's a gift. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Now, he is gonna deal with some of the struggles in life and he's gonna point us to someone greater because see, as we conclude, there is someone greater than Solomon. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, it says in Jesus, someone a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon had wisdom, but you know, he wrecked his life. He was a hot mess. You look at Solomon, guy had wisdom, he had everything, and yet you find him so often worshiping at the temples of false gods. He's got hundreds of wives. The guy kind of loses it. He's wise, and yet he's broken. Isn't that us? There's some wisdom in all of us. And yet there's a mess inside of us. And there's someone wiser than Solomon, meaning there's someone that can fix the heart. Solomon could address wisdom. He could address the mind. He could tell you what life's about, but he couldn't heal the heart. And so what the book of Ecclesiastes do, does is it takes us back to Jesus, the one who entered the world of heaven who took the hevel of life upon himself, the inequities, the shortness, and you know what he did? He took the hevel of life upon us and he gave us abundant life. He gave us security, forgiveness, the Father's love. And he says, I want you to see life not just through Solomon's eyes, I want you to see life through my eyes. I am wisdom, I am righteousness, trust me. And in trusting me, enjoy life. Let me pray for us. Father, as we kind of take a dive into this book, I know it's difficult, it's challenging, there's a lot that's in some ways depressing. And yet, Father, you can use these words of the teacher 3,000 years ago written to us to guide us and to teach us. And Father, I pray for those right now that are at that place and they hevel, yes, that's my life. That's life, it's hevel. I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm angry. Father, the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. No, it's the fruit of envy and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, even drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's what's in me. And so, Father, we turn from being wise in our own eyes and we acknowledge Jesus as the wisdom of God. And we say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for not enjoying life, for not resting in you, for not trusting that you are in control. Forgive me, Father, for making more of work and money and success and pleasure in my body, making more of it than you intended. But Father, help me to enjoy what you've given me today and to look to the one who is in control and judge over all things. And Father, that is you through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to know you, trust you, love you. Guide us into this truth, we ask in Jesus' name.